Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. Cure your cravings. Stop in today or visit Zaxby's.com and by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit ViStarCU.org. This is Duly Noted. Everything Florida Gators with your host, Pat Dooley. Okay, welcome into the latest Duly Noted podcast. Again, only one this week since there's no game Saturday. We will look at some of the other games being played in college football, and I'm looking forward to a Saturday right away. You know, usually we get those bye weeks very late, but we get it very early this week. Um, You know, just watch a little bit of football. The, The games themselves aren't overwhelming, but here's the way I'm looking at Saturday. And really, there, there are some decent games Thursday and Friday, too. But here's the way I'm looking at Saturday. Um, there's enough on. There's something on. Uh, we didn't even get to watch the, uh, the, the late game on Saturday night. So really, all we've seen in college football-wise is the Florida-Miami game. And that didn't leave the greatest taste in anybody's mouth. Um, so it'll, it'll, there'll be something, and it'll be good, and I'll, I'm going to enjoy it. Anyway. But I, yeah, I, I digress. Let's put it that way. Um, look, it, let's talk about the Florida-Miami game, obviously. We'll have Chris Doring on a little bit later to talk about it. Um, I'm not going to get into the, the Citrus Bowl or whatever they want to call it down there. It is one of the worst places to go to a game in the country. And I know that because my complaining about it, both on radio and uh, other interviews I've done and in my column, all you know, everybody is, keeps responding to me the same way. They they've had bad experiences. I haven't talked to anybody who's had a good one except my daughter, and even her be- good experience was bad. The reason she had a good experience is she's never been a student for a game before, and she had a blast from that aspect: standing up, screaming, yelling, the whole game, winning the game. But yeah, she almost also thought she might have to go leave the stadium because she was so hot. That's not the problem. It, it was hot. We get that. There are just so many other problems. It's like a logistical nightmare. Um, I, I, look, I could I could go on and on, and but nobody wants to hear me complain. Or, to be honest with you, nobody wants to hear you complain. It's a bad place. They should never play another game there ever as long as I live. And I've already threatened that if Florida gets in the Citrus Bowl, I'll be watching it on TV. Anyway, you were there. If you were there, you you were you probably lost about ten pounds in sweat. Because Lord knows you couldn't afford the $9, too many $9 bottles of water. Um, if you weren't there and you watched it on TV, you probably threw the remote at the TV. And I, look, we're all in this same thing, feel the same way. I'm not going to sit here and apologize or um, kind of, you know, explain off what went wrong for Florida or for Miami. All I can do is tell you my opinion on the bottom line here. And the, well, the bottom line, the number one bottom line is Florida won the game. 
and you should be thrilled. And I talked about it last week. Win by one, right? You gotta if you can win this game by one point, that's great. Now, as the way this, the game went, nobody probably feels that way. I'm sure there's a lot of people that almost felt like a loss when they, when the game was over. Uh, you shouldn't feel that way. If if you can't enjoy wins, there's no point in watching games, really. Look, nobody would expect you to say, man, the Gators played great Saturday night. They didn't. They played better than the other team, just slightly, very slightly. They had 10 sacks. They they were relentless in their, in their pass rush. They made a lot of big plays in the game. They made just enough. Their kicking game was the better of the kicking games. Their punter outpunted the other team's punter. Their their kicker didn't miss a field goal. Their uh, Miami's kicker did. Baxa missed that really short field goal that, if you want to be honest, lost the game for that team because they probably get down and get a field goal to win the game. Again, he would have had to kick it, but uh, you know, Florida special teams are excellent in the game. There's no question about it. But it was that last series that drove you absolutely crazy. For them to convert a 4th and 34 on a pass interference and then get a 3rd and 15 on a pass interference and then almost get a pass interference in the end zone, which would have put the ball on the two-yard line. And I, I, I literally am just sitting here going, Florida just lost the game. And you see the referees discussing it. And, and Robbie's the one who said it. He goes, you can't call – Official, you can't call face guarding in college football. That's not a legitimate penalty. And when you see them discussing it, you're thinking this may not hold up. And they pick up the flag and they go, "There was no contact, so there is uh, no penalty." That was the that. To be honest with you, that was the play of the game. That was the biggest play of the game because Miami's probably going to win that game if that flag isn't picked up. And I'm sure there's a lot of Miami fans who are feeling like, man, we blew it. We should have won that game. Well, you shouldn't get sacked ten times either. You shouldn't fumble a punt with one of your best players on your team to basically give Florida a touchdown there. So you made all kinds of mistakes. You shouldn't get penalized 14 times. You both played – both teams played very sloppily. And I'm going to get to why they played sloppily. Also, I'm going to tell you why Felipe Franks didn't play badly at all. That may freak you out. Right now, we take our first break of the day here on the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. At ViStar, we believe in better, better convenience, so members can bank any way they want, whether it's at a branch, on a mobile device, or at one of more than 20,000 fee-free ATMs across North America. We believe that people have better things to do with their time. If you believe that convenience is better, join ViStar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. Okay, let's start out with why this game was so bad. It it has nothing to do with the week zero. It has... You know what it has to do with? Week one. It has to do with the fact that there, this was the first game for both these teams. And it has to do with the fact that they both have really real issues on the offensive line. 
Not only was Miami starting a redshirt freshman at one tackle and a true freshman at the other, they had a center start in the first game of his career. Uh, I don't know how many of the, of the false snap penalties maybe were his fault. I, I don't know. I, I haven't studied it that close. And then you had Florida with three new starters as well. And when you have that, it's going to be a little sloppy sometimes with the offensive line starters. Um, the fact that it was the first game of the year. The fact I, I do believe this, and I, I don't know it to be true. I'm just saying what my explanation for a lot of it was is that because it was such a big deal, and I we talked last week about don't let the hoopla get to you, because it was such a big deal, because, I mean, the atmosphere was incredible. It was like a Florida-Georgia game with a lot more hate. <laughs> But it was. I mean, it was split. I was stunned that uh, Miami did uh, travel as well as they did. I give them credit. I thought it might they might not have a big crowd, but they hate Florida so much that they showed up, and it was a fifty fifty crowd. And I'll tell you, we were on the coming th- uh, into the stadium finally with about twenty minutes to go before kickoff, and we saw the Miami team coming in. And the, and the Miami crowd, like they were going through the concourse to get to the, the field and the fans were all around him and going nuts and taking pictures. And it was loud. And I looked and that Miami team looked like a good football team. On the hoof, they look like a top 20 football team. And I'll get to that in a minute. And I was like, well, I think Florida may be in for a little trouble. This, this looks like an athletic, fast, um, and big and strong guys. They look good. So, um, so you got that going on. You had all this hype. They're better than maybe we thought. Florida might have underrated them, which is just stupid. On any, why you would ever underrate a, a rival, underrate a team in the first game of the season when you know they could have all kinds of tricks? Underrate, um, and I don't know that they did, but I'm suspecting they did. How you can underrate a team that's got good players? You know they have good players. You know some of these players, so you know they're pretty good. Uh, so I think when you combine all that, add it all in, and the fact that Florida and Miami were both exposed. There was the only game on. Nobody was flipping channel to watch another game. Nobody was like, wow, I turned it over here and uh, George and Vanderbilt just had their eighth turnover of the game or something like that. And that's the thing. When you, when you play that first game – People, everybody's going to watch it. I mean, I think they got up to seven million at one point, which is amazing for a college football game, regular season game. And uh, but when you when you do that, people are going to also go, "Wow, I don't think much of that team." Now, why I don't think Felipe played that bad a game? I think Coach Spurrier talked about it as well. Um, the last throw was ridiculous. We all know that. But that throw and his antics on the sideline are the reasons why people think Felipe was awful, okay? Everything else he did in that game was pretty pretty good. You know, certainly the first interception, it looked like it just might have sailed on him a little bit, and that happens. It's college football. You're staying in the pocket, you throw it, and, and maybe you just get a little too much. It's like hitting a nine iron. You know, you can see Brooks Kepka and Rory McIlroy both t- hitting nine irons on a hole, and, and one of them might fly it a little far, and it gets the back edge of the green. That happens. It happens in basketball. Great free throw shooters miss free throws. 
So you you can live with that. Now, where Florida got a huge break is Miami drove down, obviously ran the fake field goal, got called for a holding on that, and then uh, missed the field goal. That was a huge part of that game. But when you look at what Felipe did, throwing for more yards than anybody had against Miami last year. Now, to be fair, Miami was replacing three starters in the secondary. But Miami played very soft coverage for the most part, and Florida still hit the two big plays on them. Of course, one was a bubble screen. Um, But, you know, I thought he looked pretty good for a lot of the game. The one area, obviously, that people – some people got way out of – bent out of shape was after he ran in for the three-yard touchdown and he got up and he folded his arms, which he – last year he was doing pretty much the same thing kind of brushing himself off and standing there. And he obviously was psyched and fired up. And you, you then you go over to – you know what you do? You go over to the field and you high-five all your teammates and you talk about the offensive line. You go to the offensive line and say, good job blocking, man. Come on, we're, we're going to need one more drive in this game. What you don't do is go talk to the fans, engage with the Miami fans. And then he, what, what he did to the cameraman where he just – said something. I, I can't even remember what it is exactly. This is what I do, something like that. Um, you know, that happens. That's that's spontaneous. I got no problem with that. You know, does that ever happen in, in, in other sports? Yeah, but usually not during the game. That's That was the problem that, that I think he had. And that just ticked a lot of fans off. Now, a lot of it is Look, let's face it, a lot of it is generational. A lot of it, we don't we don't know what the emotions were like at that game. We know what they were like in the stands, but we don't know what they were like in the field. We don't know what was being said. The trouble is when you turn around and the next play you have is a first down play and you got four minutes to go, four and a half minutes to go, and you throw that pass. Now, I know he was hit on the play, and I, I agree it wasn't a great call to throw that, but... Maybe he wasn't focused. Maybe maybe he was, and it just just wasn't a good throw and didn't make a good decision. But because of that, I think a lot of people, the narrative is Felipe Franks is back to being bad. And I don't think that's true. What we didn't see was Felipe Franks is really good. He's ready to take that next step. We didn't see that. What I think we saw was Felipe Franks is about like he was last year, which was better than he was the year before. But you hoped he would go a little bit further. And he still might. Right? He still might. You're 1-0 on this season. You're going to be 2-0, okay? And then it gets really serious. Come back to me after Florida plays Kentucky and Tennessee. I'll know a lot more about Felipe. I'll know a lot more about that offensive line. I'll know a lot more about Marco Wilson. Because Marco Wilson didn't have the greatest game. And, And who can blame him? I mean, the rust, you can get the rust. Certainly the pass interference call wasn't using your head. Um, but it's tough in that moment. I mean, it's so easy for all of us to sit here and go, how can you interfere with a guy on fourth and 34? Well, you're going up trying to not let him catch the ball and sometimes hit guys. And it's not on purpose or maybe it is on purpose and maybe, you know, whatever. But it, but it happens. That's what makes college football great. And that's what I wrote about a little bit in my column for Sunday's paper. The cool thing about... This game 
was this was the celebration of 150 years, and this is what we loved about it. College football, you never know what's going to happen next. This isn't like the NFL, where you would never see a game like that in the NFL. But it, it was just wild and crazy and mood shifts and everything. And it's played by a bunch of kids who aren't getting paid. Now, I do don't agree that they should – I mean, I agree that they sh- shouldn't be paid, and I have my, a lot of thoughts about that, but I don't want to get into that now. The bottom line is these are 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, and they get emotional. Sometimes they make mistakes. But, you know, for that last series, I cannot ever imagine – I don't know that I've ever been through anything like that watching it and not able to write because, look, the bottom line was my column was going to have one tone if they won and one tone if they ended up losing that and blowing that game. And until they, one of those things was decided, I couldn't really write. Plus, I had to do the grades and the 1A story. But I'm sitting there and watching those last 10 plays, 14 yards. Two, inter- uh, two pass interference penalties. Two fumbles that Miami recovers and that picked up black. It was like every play was a monumental play in the last 10 plays, and, and nothing really happened, right? So, look. The defensive line was amazing in the game. I thought, uh, obviously, John Grenard is a big-time player. Um, Florida took advantage of those tackles. There's no question about it. But, you know, the Gators played really well in the interior, I thought, too. Um, You can clean up a lot of this. Certainly clean up uh, the Franks mistake that he made. Certainly. And that's the other thing. A lot of people said, well, he also had a fumble. That was more P. Ryan. P. Ryan wouldn't let go of the ball, and he's supposed to when when he's pulling it out. He's supposed to let it go. It wasn't a great, but again, first game. I'm not going to worry too much about that. What I did like was the way the defensive line played, and um, you know they got screened early and it hurt them, and then they they kind of got away from it uh, because Florida took that away. I look, I had no problem with the way the defense played at all, except for those. Missed tackles and especially the two by Marco and CJ. Marco and CJ both kind of bump him with his shoulder, thinking he's just going to fall down. Um, and I, I'm sure they're getting a a lecture. If you guys are ready to go to the NFL right now, well then go ahead and go. If you're not going to play hard, and that's not playing hard, that's not playing with your heads. You need to start doing that. You need you got you got to hit guys. And the funny thing is, CJ was actually a really good tackler last year. And I hope that's not the case. I hope they are not falling into that, well, I just don't want to get hurt trap. You got to make tackles. You cannot, That should have been about an eight-yard run and ends up being 50 yards and changes the whole game For at the time, gave them the lead. So we'll see what happens when they finally get back to playing. Um, of course, we had a couple of players suspended. Apparently, on this podcast last week, at some point, Thursday, I guess, maybe, I mentioned that, that Kadarius Tony might be among them. I don't even know. I don't even remember saying that. But apparently, people blew up about it. And he wasn't, of course. He had the touchdown. And I, I apologize to him. I don't even remember saying it. I, don't even, I know that there was a lot of rumors out there. And that's why you don't repeat rumors. And I didn't – I don't – I don't think I said he was going to be suspended. I think I said his is a name that's come up. But, I, again, I'm not going to go back and listen to it. I don't have that much time. However, uh, apologize to him. Uh, Brad Stewart, obviously, 
TJ Slayton, Rick Wells, and uh, Pat Moore were suspended for the game. So it wasn't as bad as maybe a lot of the rumors that were out there. Um, Brad Stewart, you know, come on, man. Really? You, you can't, you got to be, when you're playing a team like Miami, you got to be smarter than that. Um, and of course, there was a lot of things that weren't smart. 225 yards and penalties. The officials, um, Definitely needed to get some rust off themselves. Uh, that was the crew they had for the Peach Bowl, which is funny. I, I I liked that crew in the Peach Bowl, and I guess maybe they were warmed up then. But they were just – they look, there was holding, so much holding. And I'm sure there got to be a point – and look, there were – Florida got called for those two late hits. They had two others where that, that should have been called late hits. And there was holding everywhere and all kinds of stuff that was going on. And then, you know, and they still called 225 yards and penalties. So it might have bogged the game down. They might have felt like it was just going to bog the game down to a point. But look, holding is holding. If you grab a guy by the jersey, it's holding. Um, so I didn't think they were great. Uh, I don't think week zero had anything to do with it, as I said. Uh, but I'm, uh, I don't, it was the most surreal feeling driving up to the game. And I was like, really? There's a foot Florida's playing a football game today. Are you kidding me? It just never felt like there was going to be a game. It it always it felt weird the whole way. That's my take on it. Time of possession. How about this? 36 minutes, 13 seconds for Miami, 23-47 for Florida. Florida had four turnovers. Florida had 100, 100 yards and penalties. Florida won the game. And in the end, guys, that's what matters. You won the game playing really poorly, I would say. You had a lot of positives, and that's my column for Wednesday's paper. There was a lot of good news and a lot of bad news. The thing is, you got to make the bad news history. You got to get make the bad news go away and keep the good news and have even better news. All right, we are going to take a break. We're going to come back talk about Urban Meyer being at the game. Also, we got some spreads. Uh, but but first, we're going to talk to uh, my good friend Chris Doring. Look forward to having him on the show. You're listening to the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. ABC Fine Wine and Spirits in Florida is family-owned since 1936 and longtime Gator supporters. Did you know Touchdown Terrace was named after the founder, Jack Holloway? There are 122 ABC locations throughout Florida. Shop online at abcfws.com and pick up in-store on the way to your tailgate or game day party. ABC has walk-in coors for beer and amazing deals every day on wine and spirits. Save $10 on every $100 on wine. ABC Wickers, proud Gator supporters. Okay, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast here at Gatorsports.com. It's a real honor and a pleasure to be joined by my friend Chris Doring, of course, great All-American at the University of Florida, went on to a fine NFL career. Now he is he's the king of all media. He's doing radio and TV <laughs> and mortgages, and uh, you, got it, you got it all going, man. 
It's a lot, bro. I may I may have too much going, but uh, it's all it's all good stuff. It's fun and, and and trying to enjoy being a father as well, man. I mean, I'm, I'm you just had your daughter graduate, right? I'm, mine's uh, in her beginning of her senior year. It's uh, it goes by quickly, doesn't it? Ah, it's unbelievable. I was looking at a picture of her the other day. That I couldn't even remember her being that old, but uh, yeah, yeah, she's uh, she's settling in over there at the University of Florida. So that'll be great. Nice. Um, nice. All right. First of all, Chris, obviously there are a lot of gnashing of teeth after that game. And no matter how much you remind people that it was a win, they still are upset because they, they see it. They project uh, other performances like that. And and what I think a lot of people have to understand is you usually get better, and Dan Mullentine yeah. do get better. But when you finished watching that game, were you in the studio up in Charlotte? Yeah, I was in the studio, actually. We did a uh, an alternate broadcast, uh, kind of a homer broadcast from the SEC's perspective with me and Dari and, and Chiz and, and then Danny Warfel. So between me and Chiz and Dari, a lot of, uh, a lot of Gator love from uh, us three uh, alums. Yeah, did I mean, when, you, when the game was over, I mean, did you feel like a lot of people felt in terms of, uh, thank goodness they won the game? Yeah. yeah. There was a lot of bad things that happened, but they won the game. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of dynamics involved. First of all, I, I did feel uh, happy that we won the game. Um, when all those things happened, especially down the stretch with Florida trying to give away the football game, you're thinking th- th- we're going to lose. We're destined to lose this football game, and to be able to win it despite all of the the warts on that uh, thing, it, it's it's a it's a positive. Um, with that being said, everything that went on in that game, I believe, is fixable. I mean, I think you have a situation where you have missed tackles that were terrible on defense that you can fix. I think you can get guys to understand situations a little bit better, the four-minute situation at the end where you're trying to run the clock out. Uh, It's a learning experience. Um, I think there's a lot that you can can take from that game and get better on. The great part about it is Florida has a bye week now. So you take everything you did poorly in that game and you really focus on it this week. You don't have to turn the page and, and look to the next opponent. You can you look back and self-scout a little bit. So I like that dynamic. Um, with that being said, I, I did feel a little empty. I mean, I think we all felt a little empty with the way that uh, the game transpired. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Florida was the only team playing and that all eyes were on, on the, that game. And so you're, you're dissecting it maybe a little harder than you would typically. Plus, you don't have anything to compare it to. I mean, nobody else has played their opening week games yet. So you're, you're really uh, holding Florida at a standard that you're not holding everybody else to. You know, if we want to go back after this week and, and really compare apples to apples, I think that would be a little bit more fair. But I think the other thing is that we built Florida up to be something over the offseason that we really had no tangible proof of them being. So we're, 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 we're being victimized by our own level of expectation that may or may not have been fair. And I agree with you. I think Florida will get better. Um, they typically have. I think if you talked to me last year, which we probably did after the Kentucky game, I was pretty down, as most Gator fans were. But that team, they, they battled back. They, they regrouped. And, and they played some of their best football heading to Starkville and then at home against LSU. So I expect the same. And, and like you, I trust this coaching staff because I think they make great in-game adjustments. And I think they make even better adjustments throughout the year as it goes on. You know, it's funny. I was talking to Scott Strickland um, yesterday, and he said, you know, this was just like our Kentucky game, except we won this one. You know, but yeah. it was a lot of the same problems that they had in that game. Uh, and obviously a lot of the focus is on Felipe. I think he didn't play as bad a game as a lot of people think. However, the one huge mistake um, 
it was was clear it could have cost Florida the game. And the other thing was some people, you know, in the get off my lawn mentality, uh, didn't like him mugging up for the cameras and talking to the crowd. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I don't know. I mean, you wouldn't see Danny Werfel do that, but you might see Doug Johnson do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I think there's a time and place for all of that. I think the problem was is that it was taking place while the game was still going on, and it was almost like a celebration as if the game was over. Um, the thing that I think disappoints all of us a little bit is that, you know, we were told how all off season he's matured, he's become a leader. Those aren't things that that leaders typically do, especially at the quarterback position. You know, I, I understand you know Baker Mayfield's a fiery guy and, and lets his emotions get the best of him sometimes, but I think you have to be able to remain focused throughout the entire six minutes of the game and when you're high-fiving with fans and talking trash to the Miami fans it distracts from your focus of finishing in the game and that's what exactly what happened you know he threw a great ball down the down the hash to Josh Hammond finished that drive with a run of his own and then celebrated a little bit too much and lost focus of the fact that the game wasn't over with Uh, when you go out in a four-minute situation the design is to run the clock force the opponent to use timeouts do everything you can to bleed that thing down and on first down when your coach trusts you to throw the football you got to recognize if it's not there let me go ahead and take the take the check down there was a guy wide open in the flat throw the ball to him hopefully he knows the situation and stays in bounds and allows the clock the clock to run but the last thing you want to do is force it into coverage especially on first down the way that he did i mean it's almost better just to take the sack in that situation and let the clock keep running than it is try to throw the football into coverage yeah i mean it was just a stunning development and i literally at, from that point on, I kept waiting for Miami to score, and I was going to see a Miami guy running in the end zone. That was going to be the game. Yeah. Florida was going to lose. But the, it didn't happen, and, and a lot because of that pass rush. Um, I mean, Jaron Williams played a real good game, but to get sacked 10 times, I know yeah. the pass rush was really good, and most of it was against not Max Protect, but they, they were keeping a guy back in there. Yeah. Against, let, me, uh, let, me, let me go back and say one thing about quarterbacks, too. I agree with you on what you said, Pat, about Felipe Franks. I thought he played really well. You know, the first three quarters, I thought he stood in there under duress. He had free blitzers coming at him. He's throwing the ball with some touch, dropping it in nicely. I think he misplayed a couple of the sides where he could have gone to the, to the backside and had a better opportunity. But, you know, that all comes with, with practicing a little bit more and, and getting a better field playing in the, in the games. Um, but I, I thought, you know, the problem was he reverted in, in the fourth quarter when things um, when you need him most to play with that poise that he had earlier in the game. So to flip-flop that, I agree with you with Jaron Williams. I thought Jaron Williams showed incredible poise for the majority of the football game, especially because of all the pressure that he was under. And you're right, they tried to keep an, a back in there to chip, and they certainly were sending him over to the left where that true freshman was. But when you got a, a redshirt freshman on the other side, you know it's almost like pick your poison. Where are you, you going to send the extra the, uh, help to, to try to protect? Um, I thought the crazy thing, though, Pat, was – Dan Enos' comments publicly criticizing Jaron Williams for not playing very well and missing big plays, that very well may have been the case. Uh, I thought there was a lot to build on from, from his performance, but to call him out in the media the way he did, that was a little surprising to me. Totally was. And, you know, that's the funny thing about this rivalry in this game and the, the atmosphere. I know you weren't there Saturday night, but you've been in big games. It, it, it felt different than uh, any game I'd been to. It's As you know, Miami's a different crowd than you're normally going to see at an SEC game. Different group of people, yeah. and uh, but it just felt so intense. So I kind of got 
why Felipe did that. I get why Dan Enos is so disappointed. I mean, that was a game that was there for the taking, and they couldn't take it. Uh, no question about it. But, you know, we'll see. Do you – I mean, do you – if you were, were an AP voter, where would you drop Florida in the poll? Not at all. I mean, there's no reason to drop Florida in the polls because we don't know what anybody else is. Uh, who are we going to put above them that hasn't done anything to yeah. prove they deserve it? Now, if we go out and watch the games this weekend and, and there's some great performances by Texas A&M or great perform. I mean, I'm not even going to count Texas A&M. If Auburn goes out there and rolls Oregon, maybe we consider moving Oregon up. But I, I'm not going to punish Florida for a win when nobody else has done anything to deserve to be advanced. So at, at this point, it, that would be the craziest thing I've ever heard. Hey, you. Before I let you go, you have a history with uh, Indianapolis. Um, what was your thought on uh, on Andrew Luck retiring? It was surprising. I mean, the timing of it was obviously uh, really surprising. In the middle of the Florida game, you know, the, freaked that everybody out breaking. in the press box, man. <laughs> everybody yeah, was but like, I mean, especially. The, the game's going on. The Colts are playing, and he's on the sideline in the news breaks. And, and the fans start booing him. That, to me, was the most disappointing part of it all. I played for two years in Indianapolis and, and really enjoyed my time there. I feel like they're knowledgeable football fans. And I understand the disappointment of losing your, your, your quarterback, especially the timing of it all. But in, in a day and age where we're worried about player safety, you know, the rules are being tweaked to, to make sure that, that the players aren't put in jeopardy. This guy's mental health seemed to be in jeopardy. The fact right. that, that he was you know, going down this path where he wasn't feeling fulfilled, every right, you know, the, the, our, our forefathers talked about that, the, the pursuit of, of happiness. I mean, we all have the right to do that. And I understand it seems foreign for anybody to, to decide that they don't want to play professional football anymore and to get paid the money he was. But I seriously can, can relate to a guy that's been as hurt as much as he has. They haven't helped him particularly an awful lot with the offensive line to keep him from being hurt. And the mental side of ha- constantly having to go through the rehab. I remember when I tore my Achilles pad, it was a dark time just trying to, to feel like you're not a part of the team. You're, you're working hard to see if you can even get back to where you were before. And he's had to do that multiple times. So I, I understand where he is. I have a, 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 hinge, a hunch that – that once he sits out and once he's feeling healthy again, he'll have that itch to play because he's still relatively young in terms of what quarterbacks are able to, to play to these days. But um, for them to boo and, and, and for people in the media to question him the way they have, it, it's, uh, it's beyond me. Well, so Saturday, you don't have to worry about the Gators. You, you, you can be calm about the Gators. But there's a lot of good football, and I think it's going to be fun to kind of watch all of it. It is. It is a. Uh, I'm a little. I, maybe am I spoiled here because there is a lot of football on, and we haven't had a lot of football on. But outside of the Oregon Auburn matchup, any SEC team that you're really excited to watch this weekend? Uh, well, look, I'm going to watch some of Georgia Vandy just just to yeah, see. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, yeah. That's a good see one. what Vandy's got, and then. Um, yeah, you know the Memphis Ole Miss game. It's there's nothing on at noon. That's the biggest problem, and so I, that's yeah. the only one, the only game that's even maybe worth watching. But it, it's well, not the, the greatest thing. schedule. It, yeah, it, it's weird, Pat. Though, isn't it like three SEC teams? You got Missouri going to Wyoming. You got Ole Miss going to Memphis. You got Mississippi State traveling to the, the Superdome to play against Louisiana. I, those are interesting ways to start the season because it's almost like a road trip light. You know, you, you practice going on the road. You practice what it's going to be like when you take on, you know, an SEC opponent. It's not the most hostile environment. So, 
you know, may not get you going in terms of fan interest watching it, but I do think it's a, a nice little warm up for those teams to to kind of to, to get things together um, in that first week of the season. Do you know that it's further from Columbia, Missouri to Gainesville than it is from Columbia to Laramie, Wyoming? <laughs> There's a great That's stat a good point. for you. And they're in the SEC West. Yeah, that makes yeah, a lot, or SEC East. That I makes know. a lot of sense. Don't get me yeah. started on that. He is Chris Doring. You can hear him on Sirius Radio, see him on the SEC Network, and, of course, he has a great mortgage company down uh, – where, where is your building anyway? Right next to Fresh Market, man, right here uh, um, next to Salter Fiber Office. Yeah, across from the Community Playhouse, so uh, right here in the center of the kind of financial area. All right, we will be back with more of the Duly Noted Podcast after we take a quick break here at Gatorsports.com. I'm your host, Pat Dooley, from the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com, and this is the Duly Noted Podcast, presented by Zaxby's. Okay, well, uh, yeah, it was like when somebody said Urban's at um, Urban's here at the game, I was like, well, wait a minute. Didn't, wasn't he on Fox Sports? I, they must have taped that, I guess, and then he, then he came here to this game, and I talked to Scott Strickland about it. He invited him to come down. He wanted to, you know, hey, we like to bring in our successful coaches and be part of something special. But look, I, I think I see I, – and I as soon as I saw that Urban was there wearing a Gator shirt, I turned to Robbie and I go, he really wants to get in the ring of honor. Um, that's what I saw. I see a guy who is trying to kind of bridge things right now and, and, make, and get kind of Gator fans back on his side by wearing a Gator shirt for Dan Mullen's big signature – not signature win, but big win to start the season. You know, uh, he's talked a lot about the swamp being – I guess there was a video where the swamp was the best atmosphere he'd ever been in. Um, so, look, and that's fine. I got no problem with him doing that. Um, and we'll see if when that happens. I think it, it might happen, you know. I think um, – my my whole feeling has always been the same, that I didn't think he'd want to do it because um, he would get booed by a lot of people, and I don't know where the Gator Nation sentiment is. Maybe maybe wearing that shirt, that Gator shirt, to the game Saturday night, and maybe soften to people people a little bit. I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say about that. But um, you know, I th- I think it's important to him still to be recognized as a great Gator coach, which he was. There's no doubt about it. The problem most people have is the way he left, number one, and number two, the way he left the second time, and then three, the way he ended up at Ohio State nine months later, and four, all the bad things that happened when he was here. Okay, Believe me, that that is the order of it. Gator fans can say, no, I didn't like the fact that Gator Florida was always in trouble. They had 30 guys arrested, blah, blah, blah. Now, the number one thing you didn't like is the way he left. And you, you may you may be angrier at the first or the second time, probably the second time, but that's, that's the bottom line. All right, we have games this weekend. Hallelujah. Including a nice little Thursday night game that I'm kind of looking forward to. Cincinnati, UCLA. UCLA is only a two-and-a-half-point underdog, even though the game's at Cincy. Cincy won 11 games last year. I think people feel like um, Chip Kelly is going to get that turned around. They won three games all last year, and, uh, and but beat USC. So you got that game. You got Utah-BYU. You got Clemson uh, and um, Georgia Tech, which I really want to watch, but 
we don't get the ACC network yet. Hope, hopefully someday we will. At some point we will. I think I can watch it on my laptop. Uh, some of the spreads, though, for the games. Interesting game in Tampa, Wisconsin, at South Florida. Curious to see what a Kerwin Bell offense looks like. That'll be worth watching for me. Uh, Wisconsin is an 11-point favorite in that game. Um, a lot of people like whiskey this year. You know, a lot of people like whiskey all the time, but a lot of people like Wisconsin this year, and uh, I do too. I think they might have a pretty good team with Jonathan Taylor and company. Uh, South Carolina was a nine-point favorite to open against North Carolina. Now it's down to seven. I don't think uh, – look, Will Muschamp can't lose this game to have a good season. That's, that's the A part of it. B, I still don't think he would be on a hot seat. I think people still like him. They they get Will Muschamp up there. Like, Gator fans didn't quite get him. And, and I'm going to try to explain this as best I can. Gator fans didn't get Will because of his lack of success. They didn't get that he's a really good guy and that he, um, he, he did things the right way and that he – you know his his temper and the way he kind of carried himself on the sideline was just the way he was, and don't don't get too upset about it. Um, but they didn't get it, and then they didn't. Then when he lost, the way he lost, you you couldn't live with that. And I get that. I understand. I wish Will Muschamp uh, had lasted certainly longer than he lasted because he's such a fun guy to be around. But you had no choice. South Carolina, I think's fine if they can go seven and five again this year or eight and four. You know, Will told me this summer it's his best team. We'll see. Uh, I'm not so sure it is, but um, that'll be an interesting game. Yeah, the, the freshmen start for North Carolina, right? So that'll be fun. The other game, I, obviously, I think a lot of us are looking forward to is the Florida State Boise game, just to see what FSU's got, what, what they what they've got now, because what they had wasn't very good. Um, you're talking about seven and six and five and seven the last two years. They opened as a three-point favorite. Now it's up to six. I don't know why it's gone up. Boise, I know they have a really good defense and they got a lot back, but other than that, I don't know much about them. Um, but looking forward to watching that game. Uh, Georgia Vandy, maybe. Eh, you know, we talked. I talked to Chris about it. I don't. I don't know if that game will stay competitive long. Georgia's a twenty-one-point favorite in that game. Um, still, no quarterback announced for Vanderbilt. At least as, as I'm taping this. Uh, no quarterback announced for Vandy. I don't know that really is going to make any difference, and I'm going to get to that in just a minute. Uh, the big game of the day, Auburn-Oregon. Auburn uh, was a six-and-a-half-point favorite, and it's gone all the way down to two-and-a-half and three. And that's just – you're going to see that happen. Like the, the the line set, nobody's betting on the game, and then all of a sudden they start betting on the game, and they start betting uh, Oregon because they were, they had so many points. Um I think this game is going to be fascinating. And, look, we, we've talked about this before. If Oregon loses this game, there's going to be this narrative that the Pac-12 is done. They, they have no chance of getting the playoff, which, which is ludicrous because I think Washington and Utah can can still run the table and get in. I don't think that that means it's over for the the conference, but it would be a, a little bit of a chink, you know, in the armor when you if you lose a game like that uh, as a conference. You know, that's why Florida beating Miami, even if Florida didn't look great all the time doing it, Florida beating Miami was good for everybody in the SEC. And I think the Memphis-Ole um, Miss game would be a huge win for Ole Miss if they can do that. Uh, there's not a whole – and Auburn needs to win for the con- – if the conference 
is going to continue to keep its reputation if Auburn loses that game, Memphis uh, beats Ole Miss, Florida didn't look that good. Now you're going to see this kind of narrative of, oh, the SEC's down. Because we always overreact. Overreaction Monday, there's nothing like it. We, a lot of people have overreacted to the Florida-Miami game. They're going to overreact to all the games this weekend. Um, but, I, you know, I, my question is who do I root for? Because I kind of think I'm rooting for Oregon in that game. I think I will. I don't know, though, for sure, 100%. I kind of got to wait until it – I'm definitely rooting for South Carolina to win. Um, so, anyway, I think that's uh, – also, we have Friday night games. Um, of course, Wisconsin-USF is one of them. And there is one other game on Friday night, and it is Colorado-Colorado uh, Colorado State. So, that'll be cool. All right. So, there's what's going on this weekend. Let's do three things before we uh, get out of here for another Tuesday Duly Noted Podcast. It's time for three things. Three things. One, number one, obviously the all. I, I, I keep calling him Oliver Luck. Andrew Luck, I, I, it's a real Freudian, I don't think it's Freudian slip, it's just a dummy slip. I always call him Oliver Luck. But Andrew Luck, you know, there are guys – who and Chris talked about this you get to a point where you just don't want to do it anymore and that's who you are and who knows what kind of pain he was in what kind of you know when Gronkowski quit nobody was really getting upset about that they kind of got it when Barry Sanders quit we were all spellbound but we gave him the benefit of the doubt Jim Brown quit because of his movie career if you haven't read about that that's the number one reason he did is the Browns wanted him back in camp and he said I'm finishing the dirty dozen and that was it so he said the heck with it I'm not going to even come back to you guys but that's what he wanted to do it's your life man you gave up a lot of money but you got to you got to be in love with the game to play it it is a violent vicious mean heartless game you got to be in love with it if you're going to play it and if you're not in love with it, you don't need to be out there. Uh, I, I I think Andrew Luck uh, made the right decision for him, and that's all that matters. It's like I talk about with guys who uh, you know want to transfer, or guys who uh, go to the draft early. Um, it's your life, not mine. I what I think about it. I could offer an opinion on whether I think you're going to get drafted, but I can't. I can't legitimately offer an opinion on whether you should go out or stay. Because it's it's meaningless. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know if you if you've got issues with girls or family or moms or dads, whatever. I don't know, man. So, Oliver Luck, I know you've grazed your son the right way. You seem like a good guy, and I know that Andrew wouldn't just walk away because he didn't feel like playing. He just doesn't love the game anymore. Okay, now number two, the. Um, this, this thing with depth charts is starting to drive me crazy, and I've almost gotten to a point where I, I want to tell schools, please don't give us your depth charts anymore. We don't want them. Um, the common practice is to list this guy or this guy, this guy or this guy. And I think a lot of it is paranoia. Coaches, College football coaches are the most paranoid coaches in the world, in the world. 
Because I always think if I if they don't know whether we're starting the, this guy at left tackle or this guy, that's going to screw them up. And if they do know, it could it could affect us. It's ridiculous. Sometimes it's like I I don't know we, and I do know this does happen. Certainly didn't happen with Florida's offensive line this week, but it could happen at other positions where you kind of go, you know what, I'm going to let him start this game. Uh, and see how that goes, and then bring in this other guy because we're, we're going to play them both. It really doesn't matter who starts. And like Dan Mullins said before, it doesn't matter who starts, it matters who finishes. But it, it's gotten to ridiculous proportions. When Auburn this week listed their depth chart, finally came out with a Tuesday, and had six guys at running back. Not saying one of them's a starter, all six of them could be the starter. Are you really going to fool us with that? Uh, it's just silly. I, I think it's just silly. Name your starters. It, it, and here's the thing. Go ahead and put your starters down. And, and if you want to start somebody else, who cares? Nobody's even going to notice half the time. And we've seen that happen before where they list somebody as a starter at running back. Oh, but they open the game with this guy because, you know, just calm down with that. It's just so – it's typical of the coaching paranoia that is rampant in this college game. Finally, number three, uh, unfortunately, we couldn't watch Hawaii-Arizona because our TV and, – and the game got delayed because this is hilarious. There was a police escort didn't show up. Uh, I think all those cops were in Orlando doing nothing because they weren't directing traffic. But um, it would have been perfect to come home and watch that great game. Uh, you know, Again, it was a sloppy game, but it was a fun game to watch. Ends with Khalil Tate getting tackled on the one-yard line. Uh, but – Six turnovers for Hawaii, and they still won. 595 yards Arizona gave up. Is that good? Um, at one point, they got three penalties on a field goal, Arizona, on a field goal attempt because apparently they were mimicking the snap count and the referees couldn't pick it up. And then you had this guy, Cedric Bird, four touchdowns, 224 yards receiving. Uh-oh, Bolitnikoff Ward. I'm a voter. This goes back to what I said the other day, guys. Watch lists. I hate watch lists. I, I don't know. I bet you Cedric Bird wasn't even on some of these watch lists. I was watching them. I went back and watched the highlights of the game. I studied and what happened. You got to watch everybody. Okay? Everybody. John Grenard, it's on my watch list. Jabari Zuniga, on my watch list. And that may be about it from that game. <laughs> but anyway. All right, so that's going to do it for another Duly Noted Podcast. Thanks so much to, for Chris Doring for coming aboard and uh, spending some time. We'll be back next week with Double Dose of Dooley. You'll get a Tuesday where we'll kind of wrap up what happened over the weekend, talk a little Gators, but also wrap up the games on Saturday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, Sunday and Monday. Oh, I'm in heaven. Uh, and we'll talk about all that. And then uh, Thursdays will be more of a look ahead to Tennessee Martin. Uh, so, um, and the other games from the weekend. So for now, it's time to get out of here. I appreciate everybody for clicking on. I'm Pat Dooley, sports columnist of the Gainesville Sun. I am deep, I am way back, and I am out of here. The Duly Noted Podcast is presented by Zaxby's. Cure your cravings. Stop in today or visit Zaxby's.com and by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit ViStarCU.org. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, 
human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.